Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, today we're going to look at chapter 3. Uh, we're going to kind of go through all of this. But as we continue to look at this letter, I want you to go back and try to remember the last conversation you had with maybe your doctor or, or some kind of professional, whether it was at work, whether it was uh, work you were doing at your house, you hire somebody. Uh, just re remember those conversations, especially if you, if you speak to them via like an email or you're in front of them and they have like this badge on them. If you notice those kind of people, uh, those professionals, whether they're sending an email and they have their signature or they have their names on the badge, usually their name comes with a bunch of initials after, right? Like your doctor, right? You, you're, you're speaking to your doctor and your doctor has a bunch of initials after or certifications, right? And the more certifications and the more degrees that professional has, the more likely we are to trust them, right? For example, the VP in my department that I work for, he has a whole bunch of initials after his name. He has CISSP, CISA, CRISC, PCIP, CICA, uh, and just, just among the few, right? I have no idea what they mean. But I know that those are certifications and those degrees that he's obtained. And because he has so many, of course, he's the VP, right? They trust what he has to say. They trust who he is, so of course he gets uh, the higher positions. My wife, my wife has BSN, RN, CCM, and because she has so many initials after her name, you know, she does a little bit more than just the typical nurse in her job. Me, on the other hand, I have absolutely no initials after my last, uh, after my name. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, I don't really get called on to do the big boys, heavy stuff because I don't have all those initials after my name, and, and I sh I'm supposed to put one M-I-S, but I'm so embarrassed at just having one that I just leave it out all completely. I'd rather not have any than have just one. But because I don't have all these degrees and certifications uh, and all these initials, I'm not usually the first one to be considered uh, for anything. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But we have to agree that, and we have to admit that we tend to put a lot of emphasis on titles. And, and the more degrees and the more certifications a person has, the more we are likely to count on them and go to them and trust them. When I choose my doctor, I check for all those initials. The more initials my doctor has, the more, li more likely I am to pick them among from the other options, like maybe good ratings and stuff like that. But the more initials my doctor has, the more likely I am to choose him as a doctor. And when I do choose a doctor with all those initials, I tend to want to share that. Look, my doctor is very good. He knows I go with his doctor because his doctor is awesome and he's got so much initials. He's a very smart guy, so let's go with him. And there's necessarily nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you want something good, right, if you're talking about your health, why wouldn't you go after the best? I mean, if I'm going to put my health 
on somebody's hand, I want to see a whole bunch of initials after his name, right? Uh, so why, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we share uh, the knowledge of knowing somebody who's really good at doing something with someone who's looking for it? You need a roofer, you're going to find the best roofer. And if I know the best roofer, I'm going to tell you about the best roofer, right? So there isn't nothing wrong with looking for those initials or looking for those expertise and, and somebody who knows so much. But see, this, doesn't, this is not a problem when we look at things outside of the church, but it becomes a problem when we take that same idea into the church. If you remember, that's exactly what was the problem here. The first problem Paul was dealing with is that there was a division. And the division they were going to ask, this is a smart guy, therefore this is who we have to follow. They were creating factions and groups based on who they thought was better. They didn't have initials back then, right? Paul didn't have like, you know, called by God to see, you know, B, D or something like that, right? They didn't have those initials, but they did have different positions, you know. They had a little more responsibilities than some of the regular members in the church, But they still divided based on who was better, at least who they thought was better. And as Paul starts to wrap up this issue of division, in this part of this letter, he's going to speak directly to the people creating the problem. Right in the, in the previous chapters, he, he spoke to the church in general of believers. But now he's going to speak directly to those causing the issues in the church. And there's a lot going on in this whole chapter. There's a lot that I have to say about it. But due to time and restraints, I don't have all the time in the world to talk about it. So I'm going to strictly focus on what Paul is saying to the ones causing the division. So I'm going to stay focused on those people. So I titled this message, The Immaturity of the Church. And again, if, like I said, there's so much in here. If you want to talk about more what's happening here after the service, by all means, I would love to have more conversations about this with all of you. So feel free to join us on the other side and we can stay and talk about it. So why, why, why did I title this sermon, The Immature, the Immaturity of the Church? And it's because that's exactly who Paul is talking to. That's exactly who is referring this letter to, at least this part of the letter, this conversation. He's, he's talking to those who are immature in the church. If you look at verse 1, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh to the believers. He hasn't yet moved on and said, I'm going to talk to the unbelievers of the church. No. He's still talking to the believers. So this is about people who are still believers, who are still saved and we see that when he calls them brothers right there in verse one he starts but i brothers that tells me that he's still talking to the believers because if you look at chapter one he when he expresses his thoughts to them he calls them brother so we're still talking and paul is still talking to the believers to the saved and we know that from the beginning of this whole letter we know that paul is still writing to the believers of the church there in Corinth. So here is no difference. And we have to know that. We have to keep that in mind, okay? Because what's being said 
Uh, sounds like he may be talking to those who are not, but he is those who are saved. But here's the thing. Though he's talking to the believers, though he's talking to those who he believes are saved, he's going to address them a little bit different. He's going to address them as those who are fleshly if they were carnal. This is where we get, well, we, and I'm saying we, like, I mean, most, a lot of the church gets the idea of uh, carnal Christian, right? Uh, the problem with using this term carnal Christian is, uh, is that their belief of carnal Christian back in the days and those translations that translate this as a carnal Christian, uh, the term carnal Christian is different than we define it today. Carnal Christian nowadays has become a term that we use to label someone who, who is in the church, who still lives in the flesh, and is living out their fleshly sinful desires, but they call themselves Christian. So if you hear that you know, term in other churches, you know that they're referring to those who are calling themselves Christian, but they still live a sinful desire, right? Because they're carnal Christians, right? But that's not what it was meant when the translations that calls them carnal Christians actually means. It's been changed. So they have a desire to please God, right? So they're not living out their sinful desires. They're struggling with their sinful desires, but they have a desire not to live in sin. Even though they struggle with it, they don't have it in them, in their hearts, because God changed who they were, because they're believers, changed who they were, so they don't have this desire to just live out a sinful life. They want to do the opposite. It may be hard. They may struggle. They may fall. But they don't want to struggle. They don't want to fall. So there's a big difference. So even though he will address them as non-spiritual, doesn't mean that they are non-spiritual. They are indeed spiritual. He's just going to address them as if they were not spiritual. So that means when Paul calls them carnal, he's not referring to them as someone who is actively living in sin, but as someone who has yet to let go some of those old habits from when they were living as sinners, as infants in Christ. That's like saying, other version says, as babies in Christ. So when you put all this into context, he's basically referring them as being someone who is immature in the faith. The babies. Someone who has yet, for whatever reason, has, hasn't reached that maturity in, in their spiritual life. Even though God has done the work in their hearts, and they're saved, and, they're, and they have come to Christ, they're still acting like if they were in the world. Like if God has never done anything in their hearts. And there are many reasons why, but he tackles specific reason why it shows as them being immature. Look at verse 2. He said, I fed you milk, not solid food. You were not ready for it. And even now, you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? From one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely humans? So the first evidence was that they were not ready 
for solid food. So the first thing that you notice that Paul is saying, why are you acting, you know, as carnal or fleshly, is because you are not ready for solid food. See, in the church, there are those who, are, who mature fast, and there are those who mature painfully slow. It's like a newborn baby, right? A lot of us, unfortunately, have had experience with this part of having babies, right? There are some babies, you give them milk, they drink the milk, you burp them, they burp, you put them back to sleep, they go to sleep, and it takes you 20 minutes, right? These are babies who eventually start moving on with, their, with, the, with the stages of eating a lot quick. Here's some McDonald's, here you go, and they're eating McDonald's early in life, and they're ready to go, right? But then there are some babies, and I've experienced this, painfully experiences, who just drink very slow, no matter what bottle you give them. They're drinking this milk so slow, and you got to stop every other minute to burp them because they just won't continue, or they're spitting up all the time, right? It takes you an hour, maybe all night, just to get one feeding in. See, these babies... They usually tend to move a lot slower in the stages of their feeding. That's because it's hard to give them anything more. Because if you give them anything more, they're just going to spit it out. They're not going through, through these stages very well. They're, they're spitting out the food. And if you give them salt, same thing for longer periods than those who take it in faster. So Paul is saying they are like those babies who move on to the next stage painfully and very slow. He's trying to feed you solids, but you guys are not ready for it. Because the little basics that he's giving them, they're just spitting it back up. The difference between the baby and these people is that the baby doesn't know any better. He's a baby. They're babies. They don't know any better. They don't know what they're doing. But these people are not babies. They're grown-ups, and they know what's happening. They just can't move past it. They think they're maturing, but they really are not maturing. The second evidence of their immaturity was that they were full of strife and jealousy. They had rivalries and zeal centered around men. They were bitter, bickering back and forth about things that were busy to have jealousy and, and bickering and stuff like that. Rather than leaving that behind, they're coming. They're coming into the church and they're bringing this into the church. And all this was making them look like they were pagans. They, they were looking more worldly and, and, and more sinful than they are godly. There was even proof that they were acting this way because they were calling themselves, I follow Paul, and another were saying, I follow Apollos. They were saying, I am of this person. I am of Paul. He is the great teacher. I am of Apollos because he's better than Paul. So you see, the problem they had in their human relationship showed that there was something wrong with their relationship with God. They were regarding and they were placing men higher than God. 
So clearly shows that their lack of maturity in understanding who God is with God. Because if you understand who God is, you will not be having these situations with the people in your church. So Paul goes on and he proceeds to straighten them out. And he does so using an analogy. You see that in verse 5. When then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labors. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So what is Paul saying? When a farmer plants a seed, the farmer doesn't make the seed grow. All he's doing is he's preparing the, the field. He's preparing, uh, he's putting uh, the environment for the seed to be ready to grow. That's all he's doing. He's dependent on the rules that God has established in this world in order for that seed to grow. Right? We know that the seed has to spoil and has to rot and then the roots start to come out and then things grow. And some of us plant things and we know that necessarily that doesn't happen all the time. You know, we plant 10 seeds and maybe one works. Right? So they're dependent, fully dependent on the fact that I, me as a farmer, I'm planting the seed, I'm watering or somebody's watering or somebody's planting, but they're not going to grow if, if God doesn't say, okay, they're going to grow. So the farmer ultimately depends on God making those seeds grow. And that's exactly what Paul wants them to know. Paul and Apollos were not the reason why they believe. Paul and Apollos was the means which God used for them to believe, but they were not the reason why they believe. Paul and Apollos are just servants. They were servants of the church. Most importantly, they were servants of God. They were servants who got a... But they were just servants. Yeah, Paul was the one to plant. And then after, Paulus came and he watered. But God is the one that gives them the growth. Nothing there would have happened if it wasn't because of God. Yeah, they've, they've been given different tasks. They've been given different gifts in different areas. And yes, they will be rewarded for their work individually. But they are a team. They work together. One is not better than the other. One is not greater than the other. They work together. They work hand in hand. But even then, Paul tells them, we're doing it, but we're a team. We work together. He's called me for this. He's called you for that. We work together as a team. Yes, all wonderful, but hey, that's it. We're just servants. Yeah, we're working as a team. We're making a great team, but you guys didn't come to Christ because we're such a great team. That's not it. They're just servants. He says, we're, you know, we're just workers, which can translate to, hey, 
We're just ministers. We're just leaders. That's all it is. We're nobodies. And they, the church, so they are the church, are God's field. And they have been called to work in that field, in that church. But the ministers are just servants of God. Paul and Apollos are not the ones they believe in for their salvation. Only Christ can save them. When Christ was the one, the reason why they are even saved. These are men who got placed in to lead them and teach them. So why are you guys pinning them against each other? Why are you creating this, this issue in the church? They're not even there because of their own will. They, God brought them there. Yeah, maybe one may speak better than the other and, and one may look better than the other. But neither of that matters because it's Christ, it's God. Now remember, he's dealing with immaturity. So Paul's not just going to leave him without response and be like, okay, here you go. Because if you leave it like that, all of a sudden you got the opposite of the problem. Now they're treating them like nobodies, like if they're nothing, useless people. Right? Because that's what happens when you don't explain something well to somebody who quite doesn't understand it. Then they, they go the opposite direction. So immature, you have to because you're learning. Right? We just don't leave open-ended conversations. And we know what happens when you do that. So he wasn't going to leave that. So he goes on with another analogy. But this analogy is going to bring up the importance of the three types of ministers, of workers in the church. Chapter, uh, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. And someone else, is the build, is someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone built on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw... Each one work will become manifested, for the day will disclose it. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. So Paul starts by telling them that. He recognized that the only reason he's even allowed to minister. Is by the grace of God. The only reason he even has that gift. Is because God gave it to him. That's for starters. That privilege to setting the foundation of the church in those times that's God's grace he knows that he didn't earn that God gave it to him he gave him that privilege God gave him that privilege 
crucified. He set that foundation. That's the gospel. He set the foundation. He was given the privilege by God to set the foundation in that church. But he knew that there were going to come a day where other ministers or the leaders will come in after him and build on top of that foundation that he created. You know, Paul knew that he wasn't going to live forever. You know, he established the church and he left. He left people. He left Apollos. He left Cephas as leaders, ministers of those churches. We're going to build on top of his foundation. He knew that. And though God is the one that grows the church and grows all that within the church, they all had a responsibility on building of what Paul had founded. And there will be outcomes depending on if and how they will build on this foundation. Paul says that there's those who built the foundation on the foundation with precious material. He's talking about gold, silver, precious stone. These are Precious material. These are the best of the materials that you can find to build. These are ministers that that there will be in the church are going to be building the word of God, the wisdom of God. They're not going to be straying away from the principles and foundation that of all the truth that was already built. They're not going to do that. They're going to teach. And they're going to build upon that foundation with the truth of who God is. And Paul said that when these materials are put to the test and are manifested, since they're good materials, it will stand against the fire. And those ministers will be rewarded accordingly. Those who who build on the foundation of what Paul had already founded, the true with good materials, all that's going to be put to test. And those who stand against fire are going to be rewarded for it. And then he says, then there are those who built on the foundation with weak material. That's what he's talking about. Wood, hay, straws. You know, we know that wood, hay, and straws against fire. Wood, hay, or straws. Right? We even, we even from little kids are, are taught... You know, the three little pigs. Who's the only pig who kept his house? Not the one with the wood or, or, or the hay or the straw. It was the one with the concrete building. Good material. These are the ministers that will waste time and resources and think they're actually doing things for the church and things for God, but in reality, they're doing nothing. It's like someone who who does all the wrong type of work. They're being called for something, but they're doing something else that God hasn't called them to do. And when the time comes, those materials, those works, are going to be put through the same test. But since they were building with such a weak material, those things are going to burn. Those works that those ministers were doing in the church are going to be nothing. It's not based on the works that people are saved. It's based on God. But they will lose out on a reward. I mean, just think about it. You work so hard. Do you think you work so hard? At something you think God called you to. And come to find out you weren't listening very well. 
And you thought you were doing something for God, for the church, but in reality you were doing nothing. Therefore, you get no rewards. That's pretty hard, right? You lose out. You could gain something, but you got nothing for your work. But you thought it was good, but it really wasn't. That's tough. And then finally, then there's those who destroy the church. And these are those who, who are out to destroy and divide for the purpose of breaking up the church. Those who hate God and, and just want to see the church disappear. Those who, who are purposely straying those away. Where is God's temple? You know, he is referring to the church, not destroying the body, people's body, you know, the church. God will destroy him. So if you're out there purposely dis dividing and destroying the church, oh, God's going to destroy you. So, of course, yeah, they shouldn't lift men and make them as if they were higher than God or even on par with God. But at the same time, the ministers are held accountable. Because how important the work is. Yeah, they're not... God, they're not higher than God. Yeah, we're not looking to them, but the work that the ministers were doing at that time was serious. It matters to God how they, those ministers did their work. Just because they're servants of God, they shouldn't just, you know, be left to do whatever and we think, oh, that, whatever, who cares what the pastor or the teacher or who says. That's, this is something that we all should be very well of. Paul and others of the apostles set the foundation of the church in those times. And we should be setting foundations in our times just like they did. We should be setting the same exact foundations in our churches. Because a church who doesn't set the same foundations of Christ crucified is not a church. It's not at least a Christian church. Maybe some other type of church, a made-up God church or something. But it's not a Christian church because it's not set on the same exact foundation that Paul and the apostles set the foundation in their time. So that means that what Paul is saying needs to be something that we follow as well. So for ministers, this means everyone who has been given the task to build on the foundation or built the foundation, we have a responsibility. And that we're going to have to give an account for. Whether you're doing that, or you're the one building on that foundation that was already established, you're going to have to give an account for that. Look what Romans 14, 12 says. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And this includes ministers. This includes everyone in the church. Yeah, we work together as a team with other ministers, other leaders. We are going to have to answer to God individually. We work together, but I'm going to, God's not going to be like, okay, who's your partner? Come on, both of you, come here. You're going to have to answer on your own. And yes, rewards will be given to those who did the work. Like Romans 2, 6 says, Says God, a reward. That's awesome. 
But again, if you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're not. We have to remember to whom much is given, much will be required. So don't take your work lightly because you, you serve God and, and God has given you something to do. He has given you a privilege of being part of the process. So we just can't be like, oh, yeah, I'm just serving, whatever. doesn't matter. No, it's important what you're doing. It's important what your call is. I had a hard, I've always had this hard time understanding how this is not taken more seriously. We have been given the responsibility to handle the word of God correctly, but many who are called to be ministers have other priorities with it. We're called to handle this and preach this, the truth. But there are so many pastors who are, so many teachers who are, so many leaders who are just using it for their own advantage. It's like, I'd rather do this than to build on the foundation that's the church, the, 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 the church they're at who, who was planted and established by, by others. And many are so eager to build on that foundation or maybe eager to build their own foundation, their own church, like Paul did, but only if it fits their schedule. Only if, if, if I can do it during this time. Only if, you know, after, after I'm done with everything else, then I'll build on that foundation. If I have time, I'll do it. If I don't, eh. Yeah, I want to do it, but, yeah. Or only if it's done their way, right? Perhaps only if it gains me more popularity, or only if... If they see me and others are seeing me up here speak, no, okay, I'll build on that foundation. That sounds very interesting. I get a little bit of popularity out of this. People give me attention. They're sitting there listening. This is hard because this is small. I see some falling asleep in here and there, but for the most part, I'm speaking and you guys are listening. You know, if you're not careful, that stirs a little bit of something inside of you. Some will only do it if it's a big church. The bigger the better. Oh, I only work for it if it's a big church. I'm not going to do that. You're such a small church. I don't want to do that. No, a big church. Yeah, I'll, I'll build on that foundation in that big church. And then there's some that who just don't do it at all, which I'm not even going to get into that conversation. So understand that your work will be put through fire. So you have to think about it. How is your work going to stand out? Is it going to stand against fire or is it going to burn? Are you doing what God's called you to do or you're not doing what God's called you to do? Are you doing it for the right reasons or you're not doing it for the right reasons? You're going to be put to the test. You're going to have to answer to God. And this is, may not be about salvation or saved or not, but you're going to lose out on something. And that's for you're now in Christ. You are expected to mature. You're not expected to stay a baby Christian all your life. There's an expectation. You move on. You learn more. You grow more. I've seen many times that the issue that the current church is facing is exactly the same issue that they were facing then. The immature Christians are causing division 
within the church because of the same exact thing. All the time I still see it. Divisions because you haven't let, yet let go of that which you have been told that you needed to let go. Right? We, we preach and we teach what the Bible says. You need to let go of this sin. But you're saying, no, this is not what the Bible is saying. I don't have to do it. So I'm going to go open a different church that doesn't tell me to do that. Do we not see that? You refuse to eat solid food and can't even handle the basics. It is time to mature. And I don't know if it's you guys or somebody who's going to listen to this later, but if this is the case, it's time to mature. It's time to become more mature in your faith. You can't continue to divide the church thinking one is better than the other. We all need Christ. And we all gain Christ only one way. Not many ways. And I get it. Maybe you didn't know any better, right? You, you are a baby in Christ, right? You're just coming to Christ. You didn't know that you were doing that. You didn't know that you were bringing that with you. But guess what? Now you know. Many people like to say, well, I think about it. So sorry to be uh, the one to bring that to you. It is time to grow spiritually. Paul's going to tell him the same thing later in the letter. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. It is time to leave those childish things. Many, if not all, have been called for some type of ministering. You're not going to be ministering if you're still acting freshly. Simple as that. At least not here. I'm just saying. So then what, what sh must we all do? First thing that we all must do is glorify him by pursuing real wisdom. Look at verse 18. A fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is fully with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. That they are all fertile. Futile, whatever, however you say it. It is time that we humble ourselves. We have to be humble if you think you're wise according to human measure, it is time to become a fool. That way you become wise in the standards of God. If you think your main man made, man made wisdom will make you wiser in front of God, you're deceiving yourself. Psalm 94, 11, The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are pointless. Humble yourself. And God will be the one to lift you. You need to renounce all those worldly wisdom. Because that's what the world's going to call you. It is time to humble yourself. 
Because the glory of God will be seen more when it's the work that is being done comes from Him and not from you. Second thing we need to do is glorify God by seeing things in the right perspective. Look at verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the presence or the future. All are yours. And when he says yours, Christ. All belongs to Christ. Sometimes we get more excited about being in front of an influential or famous people in this world. We get more excited about that than we get more excited about God. One man. There has ever been one man, whether rich or poor, that deserves to share this glory with God. And that's because everything and anything in this world Everything, absolutely all of it, belongs to Christ. So don't leave here today without putting your trust in Christ. You will not find salvation in men. You will not find peace in men. You will not find real wisdom in men. And you're definitely not going to find any of this within yourself. Only in Christ. Can you find real wisdom and real power? Church, pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Father, thank you because sometimes we need to remember what it is that you called us to do, Lord. Father, I pray that these words may put conviction in our hearts, Father. Not because they were my words, but because they are your words. For the apostles, for the disciples to write. Because this is your word. This is what you want us to know. Father, I pray that we become mature. Father, if we are immature, Lord, allow us to be mature. Allow us to understand those things that are making us immature so we can, so we can grow, Father, so we can leave those behind and grow spiritually and walk the way you've called us to walk so that way those outside can see what you've done in our lives, Lord. Father, as we go out of here, Father, as we go outside, Lord, may we minister to those who are around us you've called us all to speak your word to those who are needing it father use us as the means to get this word to them father we know that we're not going to change them but use us as the means for you to change them father I pray that you continue to bless our hearts and continue to bless our families and bless our homes lord and continue to give us wisdom and strength to be able to carry this on lord Father, thank you. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library of sermons, jump right over to our website at www holycitychurch.us Again, we want to thank you for listening and remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Holy City Church